Um, Recording in progress. <clears throat> well, with that said, um, I want to welcome every one of you. <coughs> um, I want to ask that you guys get your Bibles as always. Um, but especially today. And if you want to take notes, I would encourage you to do that too. Um, because we will be doing um, not a, not like and then like a whole whole lot of reading but I do want to look at the text um, so that uh, a number of texts because I want to help ground your knowledge in the scriptures and um, I want to be speaking about a topic that is very important and um, and so the I will be reading from the Old Testament, and, and I, I know that um, as the church, we're not too familiar with the Old Testament. Um, a lot of our reading tends to be in the New Testament, unless, of course, we're reading the book of Psalms or the book of Proverbs. Um, I have found that to be the case. And so, um, with that said, um, obviously you don't have to get your notes, but if you wish to do so, I would encourage it. Um, but certainly get your Bibles and I'm reading, I'm going to be reading from the NIV. Um, if you want to follow along, um, it's kind of hard to follow along if you have a different translation. Um, but Hey, you're entitled to your choice. Um, but once again, uh, welcome everyone. I want to, I want to get into prayer. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm feeling a bit under the weather. And so excuse me um but i i do want to ask for our undivided attention as we come to prayer um i know i have to say this a lot but i want to just put you in remembrance that um be advised that if if you're distracted while we're gathering wh whose destiny are you really uh neglecting to invest in right um, the only disservice that that does to anyone is to yourself. And if that's, um, I don't know about you, but normally the people that I've seen in college who didn't focus, who were distracted, who were always on their phone and stuff like that, they didn't, they didn't pass. And um, unless they cheated. And guess what? The Lord don't allow you to cheat in his exams. <laughs> So you better study, right? You better get it right. Because um, if not, you'll probably be wandering in the wilderness for 40 years when it didn't, when God did not intend for you to stay that long there. Amen? Um, Amen. <clears throat> so the Lord wants you to pass through very quickly through a wilderness. He don't want you to abide there. So let us um, come and pray. Father, I just ask right now in Jesus' name, Father, I pray, Lord, for your Holy Spirit to dwell among us, to abide among us, Father. Father, this is your meeting, Lord. Your word says that your house shall be called a house of prayer of many nations. Father, I, I see in the scriptures that you have zeal for your house. 
So much so, Lord, that you drew you drove out the Pharisees who made your house nothing more than a uh, a platform for transactional transaction and business. Father, I pray that we would not come with such irreverence, Father, before your throne, before your temple, Lord, before your house, Lord, that we would have reverence, that we would have, Lord, a sense of awe, we would revere you, Father, and that we would treat your things as holy. <coughs> Father, that we would not treat your holy things as common, but, Lord, that we would treat you as such, Lord, as uncommon, as peculiar, as holy. You're a thrice holy God, and there is none like you. Father, you call us to be holy, even as you are holy. So, Father, create within us, Lord, a holy mind. Create within us, Lord, holy hearts. Father, that would see you in truth, that would not treat you, Lord, as as we treat other people. Lord, forgive us, Father. Father, may this meeting be pleasing in your sight. May it not, Lord, be a stench before you, Lord. But may it be a sweet aroma, Lord, before your very throne. So God, I ask you in Jesus' name to dwell in our midst. Be pleased to dwell in our midst, Lord. Hear the prayers of your people. Do not be angry with the sheep of your pasture. Like David says, do not rebuke me in your anger, neither chasten me in your hot displeasure. Father, may your grace abide on us. May your favor abide with us, Lord. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Yes, Lord, and give me the words to speak. Give me the words to speak. Father, I pray. I need your help, O Lord. Speak to your people. Give me unction and inspiration, Lord, and revelation. Yes, Father. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. <coughs> God bless you. Um once again, I want to ask before I proceed, Is it, are you guys hearing me okay? There's no lag? It's like, it sounds very good, but it'll be a little static, but it's like acceptable though. But if you want to switch on the phone, that'll be smarter to go on ahead and just do that if you want it to be real perfect. Okay. Um, let me see. Let me, let me ask one more time. Test, test, test. Still glitchy? Test, test. Not for me. That sounded good. Yeah, not for me either. <clears throat> okay. Well, um, I'm going to just continue. But And, and if, it, if it starts glitching, just let me know in the chat, please. Uh, I'd uh, appreciate that. Just say, uh, just type glitching. Um, I want to ask that we turn to Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles chapter 36. <clears throat> and for those of you that don't know what Chronicles are, what the book of Chronicles um, consists of, um, 
the word chronicles hold on the word chronicles comes from the Greek word chronos and chronos means time and so um, this deals with this is basically a book of time of the history of, of the kings and um, and and what had taken place in Israel and Judah and um, there's some parallels between this and and First Kings and Second Kings. They're not entirely the same, but you'll see some parallels, um, largely with what the kings had performed and what kings were good, what kings were bad, and so forth. Um, but I want to be speaking to you guys about some Old Testament history, and this is not going to be a history lecture, but um, this will not. Um, this will include some of the history of of the Old Testament Jews, uh, particularly with regards to the the temple, okay, and and the ba- Babylonian captivity, okay. And so, and there's a reason for this, okay. Um, this will tie into an, uh, a much larger point as you bear with me, but let's turn to Second Chronicles chapter thirty six. Verses 15 through 23. The word of the Lord reads, The Lord, the God of their ancestors, sent word to them through his messengers again and again because he had pity on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked God's messengers, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord was aroused against his people, and there was no remedy. He brought up against them the king of the Babylonians, who killed their young men with the sword in the sanctuary, and did not spare young men or young women, the elderly or the infirm. God gave them all into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. He carried to Babylon all the articles from the temple of God, both large and small, and the treasures of the Lord's temple and the treasures of the king and his officials. They set fire to God's temple and broke down the wall of Jerusalem. They burned all the palaces and destroyed everything of value there. And it says he carried into exile to Babylon the remnant who escaped from the sword and they became servants to him and his successors into the kingdom of Persia came to power. The land enjoyed its Sabbath rests all the time of its desolation it rested until the 70 years were completed in fulfillment of the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah. And so <clears throat> as you see here the Lord had sent messengers time and time again to the people of of Israel the people of Judah he had sent them prophets and and this is something important to note because whenever a prophet arises this is a sound of mercy even though the rebukes of the prophet may be hard and they may be difficult one of the surest signs that the mercy of the mercy of God has met you is that he would send messengers the most uh, terrifying time is when God does not speak to people. I'm not talking about in season of silence, which we all will experience, not because of bringing displeasure to God, 
But I'm speaking with regards to a permanent silence. Such was the case of Saul. Saul, the Bible says, um, did not hear from the Lord any longer because he was rejected of the Lord. And even in the New Testament, <clears throat> the sign that the Lord had mercy upon a people is that he would send his evangelists. He would send his prophets. He would send his apostles and the apostles would proclaim, um, repent for the kingdom of God has come among you. And the scripture says that if they um, were people had, who had received the message, then may peace be upon them. Um, but if they reject the message, then wipe the dust even off your feet because they, they don't consider themselves worthy of salvation. Um, they love death. And they don't love life. And so as a consequence, they will suffer um, the penalties of death. But nevertheless, <clears throat> we see that this is a sign of the mercy of God, that he would send his prophets, he would send his messengers. And what did the people of God do? They rejected the message that was, was heralded to them. They rejected the message that God had given to his people. They scoffed. And... That, unfortunately, is the case today. There are still people, even in the church house, that are scoffing um, God's messengers. And they will do it in passive ways, in passive-aggressive ways. Uh, they may not outrightly say or speak against such people, but their actions ultimately demonstrate that they are scoffers and that they reject the message of the Lord. But here in this context, God began to warn and warn his people <clears throat> that if they did not repent, that the Babylonians would besiege Jerusalem. And I want you to understand, like this is a big deal because the Jews are well familiar with the passages where the Bible says that the people of God shall prosper. And they had a sort of ethnic pride that they were Jews. They were children of Abraham. But to God, he demands obedience. He demands full loyalty to the covenant. Such that if you're disobedient to the covenant, the Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 8, it lays out blessings and cursings. And so the curses were that they were to be slaves to uh, pagans, to Gentiles, that they would not be the head, they would be the tail. But if they were to obey, God would bless them and he would cause the enemies of the Lord to be the tail and the foot and not the head, right? And God, God hasn't changed. But nevertheless, the, the people of God were so obstinate and proud and they did not take heed to the prophet Jeremiah. He is known as the weeping prophet. He wasn't weeping because he broke his, you know, he broke his nail or he stubbed his toe or his church wasn't growing. <laughs> He, he was weeping 
for the destruction of the daughter of his people, the Bible says. Mine eyes, mine eyes run down with rivers of water for the destruction of my people. You know, and I want to say this as a side note. I think that this is a lost art that we have in the church of God is that people, that preachers no longer weep anymore. We love to laugh. We love to be uh, uh, full of glee and 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 be happy. But there there's a sense in which the the sobriety of mind, the the contrition of heart, the distress has forsaken the pulpits, and we make light of God. We make light of what's going on in the world, and we're just like the people. Uh, in Jeremiah's day, prophesying of destruction if they don't repent. And you know what they were saying? No, no. Uh, we want to hear lies. Prophesy to us good things. We want to continue to serve Baal and Moloch. And we want to serve our own gods. But nevertheless, hear good uh, uh, prophetic words from you. But you can't have it both ways. We can't have our foot in the world and our foot in the church and expect to have blessings on our lives. But what did Jeremiah say the prophets of his day? They prophesied peace, peace, when there is no peace. Right? <clears throat> Amen? Are, are, are we listening? Are we, are we like uh, people in Jeremiah's day? Amen. Amen. <clears throat> um this is a big deal. It it's like it's like the White House here in America being destroyed. Because the temple the temple to the Jews was the central, uh, was the center of their entire lives. Because if you remove the temple, you remove their religious life, you remove the sacrifices, you've done away with the glory of God because that's where God dwelt. Right? So it's, it's in fact much larger than what we would expect um, if the White House was laid in ruins that which is holy that which was uh, central to their lives is now God is prophesying saying that this temple will be destroyed your your cities will be in ruins your the, the choicest people among you shall die you shall die with the edge of the sword And that the Lord in the day of his wrath shall not pity even upon, among the elderly and those with infirmities. Amen. Right? And so this is recording what had occurred. And it was and this is what was prophesied by Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter twenty one, verse ten. No, actually, go to Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 29. Jeremiah chapter 32. 
Uh, Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 29. This is what the word of the Lord reads. The Babylonians who are attacking the city will come in and set it on fire. They will burn it down along with the houses where the people aroused my anger by burning incense on the roofs to Baal and by pouring out drink offerings to other gods. So Jeremiah the prophet had prophesied that this was going to occur, that the Babylonians would uh, lace, uh, would besiege Jerusalem, and the people of God were like this. They, they, they had their ears closed. They didn't want to hear this. But the word of the Lord did not return void, and he fulfilled the promise that he had made with regards to destroying the temple, destroying all of the people of God with the edge of the sword, and that those who did survive, because Jeremiah said this, look, if you just surrender to the Babylonians, you guys won't die. Just surrender. But some resisted nevertheless, and they died by the edge of the sword. But those who surrendered were taken captive and had survived as captives who were then exiled into Babylon. And you must understand to the Jews that they can't really grasp this. How would the Lord allow a, a nation that is more unrighteous and more ungodly than us lace, uh, besiege us and take our people captive? And I'm sure they're thinking, Lord, for, Dave, for David's sake, for Moses' sake, for your covenant's sake, don't forsake us. Don't allow the pagans to come and ransack your holy land. But no amount of rationalization had uh, uh, stopped the hand of the Lord. It didn't stop the hand of the Lord. His justice was executed. Now, of course, there, there were some hopeful prospects, as we shall see, because the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, and the word had declared that they would be in captivity for 70 years. But 70 years is a long time. If you, if you weren't alive uh, to witness Babylon besieging Jerusalem, and, and you were born in captivity, let's say you were born the same year that all the people were taken into captivity, you wouldn't be released until you're 70 years old. It's almost like a life sentence. This is more than a generation because biblically speaking, a generation is defined as 40 years. Right? And then there there would be some people who were born in the middle of captivity um, and then go back home. But, but by that time, some didn't even go back home. Some stayed in Babylon. But the, for those who did, who wanted to return, they were already up in age. <clears throat> I want to turn real quickly to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9, verses 2 through 3. The book of Daniel, Daniel the prophet is actually a captive in Babylon. And 
This is where we get uh, the apocalyptic literature concerning the end times. Daniel the prophet had prophesied about the um, the the king that you know the the kingdom that would succeed Babylon and the kingdom that would succeed after them. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, the Greeks had succeeded Babylon, and after the Greeks were the Romans. And precisely, Daniel had prophesied this to the T. But take note of what it says here in the scriptures. Daniel chapter 9 verses 2 through 3. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord, uh, to the Lord God, and pleaded with him in prayer and petition and fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets who spoke in the name of, uh, spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our ancestors, and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are righteous. But this day we are covered with shame. The people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, in all countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you, we and our king and our princes and our ancestors are covered with shame, Lord, because we have sinned against you. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave uh, gave us through his servants, the prophets, All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. But in verse 17, he says, Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Uh, Give ear our God and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make request of, uh, of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy, Lord. Listen, Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act. For your sake, my God, do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. So take note of what Daniel is doing here, despite the fact that he's in captivity, and despite the fact that he actually opens up the scroll in the book of Jeremiah to uh, explore that prophetic word, to come to the conclusion that there's an entire 70-year span that we can expect for God's people to be in captivity. Nevertheless, he sets himself and does what? He confesses the sin of his nation. He confesses his sin and he appeals to the mercy of the Lord. He appeals to his covenant. He appeals to the Lord's name. He appeals to the promises of God. So he didn't merely rest on a prophetic word. He looked to the prophetic word. He looked to the scriptures. He appealed to the Lord's mercy. He gave himself to fasting and prayer and confession of sin and said, Lord, hear. Lord, act. Lord, do not uh, uh, allow your sanctuary to remain desolate. God, come for your people. Come and act for your people. God, restore your people. 
not because we are good, not because we are righteous, but for your mercy's sake, act in here, Lord. That was his prayer. Amen. He wanted the glory to be restored as it was at the first in Jerusalem. Right? <clears throat> Some of us might be in captivity ourselves. Because we have been unfaithful to the Lord. And, and we find our, the land of our hearts desolate. The land of our lives desolate. And everything is in ruins. Everything is in rubble. Everything is not like it should have been. Because of our unfaithfulness to the Lord. And so this prayer of Daniel is a prayer that we should emulate, we should mimic, not with a shell and emptiness of heart, but that our hearts would genuinely believe this, and from the genuineness and the sincerity of our hearts, and with the true uh, heart of repentance, begin to uh, pray and, and seek the God of heaven, not only for your life, but the lives of your family, the lives of your loved ones, the lives of your family, and the lives of your own land. Lord, hear and act, not because I am righteous, I have done no good thing, but because of your mercy and your great name, O oh God, I appeal to your grace. Hear and act, O oh Lord. God, come through for your people. And so what we find is that the Lord ends up delivering his people. God ends up setting his people free from captivity. Isn't that the God we serve? A God of deliverance? A God of rescue? A God of salvation? A God who delivers you from a strange land? A God who delivers you from being um, subjected to... A, a, a land who told you how to think, how to talk, what to do, what your name shall be? Isn't that what sin did for us? Isn't that what the devil did to us? He told us what we would be, what we would do, and we had no option because we were enslaved by our lusts and passions and pride. But the great mercy of the Lord appeared to us through the great uh, grace of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave his life as a ransom for many and who delivered us from the wrath to come. Amen. Let me ask you this serious question. Are you, my brothers and sisters, are you delivered from that great heartlit Babylon? Or are you still in accord with the system and the ways and the, the dealings of Babylon? Are you still a captive to Babylon? There, there is no hope for those who take refuge in Egypt, who take refuge in Babylon. Rest is only for those whose trust and whose hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, I want us to, at this point, turn to Nehemiah, <clears throat> because I, what I'm doing is giving you guys a history. Where, where it began was, we read in Chronicles of how it gave us a description of what had occurred, right? 
But it began in the days of, of Jeremiah where they were offering up incense to Baal and they were passing their children through the fire and they were offering their children to the god of Molech. And I know this is a bit descriptive, but I don't know if you guys have ever seen the statue of Molech. It, you know, it, he's, he's seated on like a throne and has a, 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 the head of a beast and has his arms like this. And what they would do is they would place the baby in the hands of Molech and they would heat up the statue from underneath and intensify the heat and they would pull a crank to uh, um, lev- uh, to hire the arms so that the baby would be tossed into the mouth of this false god and, and burn the baby alive. Isn't that what we're doing today? In America and in many other nations in the world, they're offering up babies at the, the altar of Planned Parenthood. Let's just be real. It's it's the altar of Molech. It's a genocide on our own soil that has become worse than all that even Adolf Adolf Hitler had accomplished in his uh, years of totalitarian um, reign. And, and, and we praise God that Roe versus Wade had been overturned. <clears throat> but this is what the people of God were doing and so Jeremiah, the Lord speaks to Jeremiah, says, prophesy destruction. These people, these people don't listen. And they were taken into captivity. The temple was destroyed. This land was sieged. Everything was in ruins and rubble. And Daniel, who is a prophet in during the Babylonian captivity, begins to pray. He discovers the promises of God located in Scripture and begins to appeal to the Lord's mercy and says, Lord, have favor on your land again. Have favor on your people, on your land. May the glory return back to Jerusalem. Let me ask you this, my brothers and sisters. Has the glory of God left your life? Or is his anointing, is his glory still upon you? The sin, sin is a reproach to any people. But righteousness exalts a nation. Righteousness exalts us. But sin will, sin will be your reproach. That's why, that's why some of you are cold in your hearts. The glory has departed from your hearts. You you love things that God don't love. You don't spend time with Him. You treat Him as an accessory and not as the God of your life who is worthy of worship. Or is the glory on our lives? If so, that's praise God, right? 
That that's what I want. That that's what Moses said. I, I don't I don't I don't know about you, but I want to be like Moses. He said, "I'm not. I I don't want to go anywhere where your glory is not does not go before me." Amen. Does the glory of God go before you? Let 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 me let me challenge you on this. When when you link up with someone in a relationship, is the glory of God in the midst of that relationship? Or is it a stench? I know I'm being hard with my language, but I, I want to I want to drive this at home and, and make it a um what I said is um even in relationships is the glory of God in your relationships or are you insistent upon linking with someone who doesn't belong to you? Because I assure you, wherever you are are um whatever you are led to do or tempted to do and you execute that choice and God was not the author of that, the glory of God will not rest upon that decision. And the Bible says this, the blessing of the Lord, he adds no sorrow to it. So God's blessings and uh, leads to uh, an increase of glory, not shame, not destitution, not sorrow. May we not rationalize. May we not rationalize the commands of God. Amen, somebody? Amen, bro. Amen. <clears throat> because at the end of the day, my brothers and sisters, you will know in your heart whether or not you're sinning against the plans of God for your life. That intimacy that you used to share with the Lord, you will not you will not enjoy any longer. Until you cut off the things that he told you very clearly. David said, did he not, in the Psalms, I believe in the 66th chapter, if I cherish sin in my heart, the Lord would not have heard me. He would not have heard me. Who you say said that, bro? My bad. Uh, David in, I believe, Psalm 66. Okay, okay. Uh, Nehemiah. I, I want us to turn to Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah chapter 1. Beginning at verse 3. And to give you a bit of uh, context, uh, give you a bit of history, um, Nehemiah, he actually comes later than Jeremiah. And he's actually serving in the king's palace. <coughs> and He ends up obtaining favor from the king that he's serving because he's the king's cupbearer. And he becomes sorrowful in the king's presence because 
the, the captivity has ended. The captivity of the, the people of God into uh, Babylon has ended. And he's sorrowful because the city is still in ruins. And the king takes notice of this and he says, Why are you sad in the king's presence? And he begins to relate to the king um, that his, his, his holy land is in ruins and everything is in rubble. And he sought the favor of God, right? And to be able to return back to that land and begin to repair the temple that was destroyed. Verse 3, They said to me, Those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, "Um, I'm not going to read the fam, I'm not going to read the the prayer. You can go ahead and read that later from verses 5 through 11. But I will just read the end of it at verse 11. He says, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. <clears throat> God, be, uh, Nehemiah began to seek the favor of God <clears throat> through prayer. He, he began to fast. He began to survey all that was taken on in the land. He began to seek the favor of God. And his specific prayer was that, I will know that your favor rests upon me if the king whom I serve favors me and grants me all that I need in order to repair the temple. And take note of the fact that this isn't just a measly house. This is a very expensive endeavor that requires uh, particular stones. It requires gold. It requires wood. It requires laborers. So this is a big thing. And a cupbearer tested and tasted the wine of the king to make sure that the king was not poisoned and and so that the king could have, you know, unpoisoned wine and stuff like that. So Nehemiah is a very prized man to the king, but the favor of God rests upon Nehemiah and and grants him favor from the king, and the king supplies everything to Nehemiah and commissions him to go repair the temple. Right? So it's not an easy thing to give up a prized individual who serves you, but this is precisely what the king does. Why? Because God's favor was with Nehemiah, and the years of captivity were over, and what was prophesied by the mouth of Jeremiah had come to completion, so that the favor of the Lord had returned back to his people, and despite all that they have experienced before in the past, God says, I will now arise, and there will shall be no more rubble, there shall be no more destitution, and though my people were once forsaken, I shall now return to my people, and bring them back to a land that I promise, and Glory shall abide in the Holy Land, and I will make it a praise in the earth. I shall make it a praise in the earth. But my brothers and sisters, that means that our lives can become a praise. It doesn't have to become a reproach. 
But every attempt to begin to repair the temple of our lives begins with prayer and humbling ourselves in confession and seeking and entreating the favor of God. <coughs> and so, Nehemiah gains success. And um, we see I, I wanted to, I don't want to lay us with too much scripture, but I have a couple of more passages that I want us to uh, evaluate. But nevertheless, I hope that you see where this is leading. And that this has significance to our lives. It's not just what had taken place before. Because the Bible says, we are the temple of the Lord. Right? So whatever applies here in the Old Testament with respect to the temple has application for our lives today because we are the temple of the Lord. And there are things that we can do that will ruin our lives, that will ruin the, the, the plans and the purposes that God had originally for our intention and it is through humbling ourselves and beginning to recognize that I have fallen short of the Lord's commands. I have fallen short of His glory. And I'm beginning to entreat His favor yet again. I'm humbling myself. I'm coming to the God of heaven and saying this, O oh Lord, I am done with captivity. I want to return back and I want to be built up and repaired. <clears throat> I want us now to turn to Haggai. You probably didn't even know that book was in the Bible. <laughs> Haggai chapter 1, verses 14 through 15. It's one of the minor prophets. It's a small book. Haggai chapter 1 verses 14 through 15. And this is what the word of the Lord says. And Haggai, Haggai is a contemporary to Nehemiah. So Haggai, Zechariah, Nehemiah, Ezra, all these people are living in the same time. And they're all joined together. Um, for the same project of repairing the temple. But Haggai was a prophet. Nehemiah was a cupbearer. Right? Zechariah was a prophet as well. And so, how many of you know this? No matter what our position is, we're all um, supposed to be committed to building up the temple of the Lord together. Whether prophet, whether priest, whether pastor, whether worship leader. Let me ask you this question. Are you intentional about building up the body? Are you intentional about building up the temple of the Lord? Or are you allowing it to just lay in ruins? Are you allowing the temple of God to just be desolate and be in rubble 
and destruction, and it doesn't concern you at all. Look at the heart of Nehemiah. He looks at the destruction of the temple, and he begins to weep. He begins to fast. Is that something that we practice when we look at the 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 shambles in the church today? In the house of God today? Does it grieve us that there are clowns behind the pulpit today that are not pastors and they have taken the occupation of a comedian and not a prophet of the Lord that begin to declare, declare the whole counsels of God? They make it into a carnival and a circus and everything else other than the house of, of the Lord, the temple of God, where sacred and holy services are rendered unto the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm tired of of I'm tired of seeing this. It broke my heart, man. I seen the other day this um this lady who claimed to be a priest and she said that she feels closer to God when she enters into abortion clinic. I know she's not talking about the God of the Scriptures, although she thinks she is. She's talking about the devil. She's closer to the, to the Lucifer. That's who she's closer to. She's a child of devil. And whatever parish she's serving over, it's nothing more than a synagogue of Satan. Such corruption. False prophets. False pastors. False teachers, clouds without rain, twice plucked up, as Jude says. And I'm not talking about people who struggle. I'm talking about actual wolves in the church of God devouring the sheep. <coughs> Their God is money. Their God is Baal. Their God is Molech. That's whom she serves. May the zeal of the Lord rise up in us and say, not any longer. Not on my watch. I will preach the truth. I will stand by the truth. I will resist wickedness. I will, I will be a bulwark against all that is wicked and the Lord detests. Amen. But this is what Haggai write, uh, writes. He says, So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Jozadak, uh, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month. So they began laboring. Or they began building. But but here's the thing though. The interesting thing is even though there's sometimes some of you have heard from God. And the Lord says begin to repair or begin to uh, commit to this plan that I have for your life. And you neglect it. This is exactly what was going on 
in the days of Nehemiah, Haggai, Zechariah, Zerubbabel, all these guys who were had a heart to build the temple, the rest of the people actually became negligent in repairing the Lord's house. And this is what it says here in uh, Haggai chapter 1, um, verses 3 uh, through 11. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains in ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much but harvested little. You eat but never have enough. You drink but never have your fill. You put on clothes but you are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountain and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. (coughs) You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What have you brought home? I blew, what you have brought home, I blew away. Why? declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew, and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces, on people and livestock, and on all the labor of your hands. And so, here is why they're having little. Even though they are laboring, even even though that there is production, they are still lacking. They are still in want. Why? Because they are not seeking first the kingdom of God. They're not putting God's prerogatives first. They're not interested in building up other Christians, the temple of the Lord, the house of God. And they're only interested about craving, uh, uh, satisfying their own appetites in their own lives. They're only considering about what concerns their lives. Oh, uh, yeah, that brother or that sister, ah, it's not a big deal. I only care about me. And that's precisely why their lives are in lack. It's not me injecting in the text. It's right there, black and white. The Lord is saying that the heavens has shut up the rain and the earth earth is producing drought. Why? Is it because you're not laboring enough? Is it because you're not intelligent enough? No, the reason why this is cyclical and it's an endless treadmill is because you haven't put first things first. And the things that God wants you to put first is His plans, His people, and His house. Amen? And so, (coughs) this this sort of nonchalant attitude is not going to cut it with the Lord. I can't tell you how many people uh, just offer the most lame excuses. Oh, you know, I broke my my nail today. I, I can't, you know, I'm sorry, I can't go out and witness. What? Oh, you know, um, uh, I just feel a little tired today. You know, I'm, I'm not gonna go and and help um, the lost. You know, they're they're just kind of going to hell. But I, I don't really. You know, I'm just gonna ignore that for a minute. I need to watch my Netflix. Oh, how about Hulu? 
There's a little bit of self-care, right? That sort of nonsense. I'm not saying that you can't have hobbies and you can't enjoy life. That's not what I'm saying. God says, go ahead and enjoy life, but put my things first. I hope we're silent because we're convicted and we're not we're we're not slumbering. Are you putting the things of God first? Are you putting his plans first? Or are you only about me, 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 me? You know what the Lord calls that? He calls it dishonor. Calls it dishonor. You know, I'll just leave it there. So, God had to check his people, like, start building. Right? The Lord, t- Lord had taken you from the land of Babylon. And that, and, but this is how you repay the Lord, right? You're not concerned about rebuilding his home where he wants his glory to dwell. How easily we're forgetful. So through the mouth of Zechariah and Haggai, he had to rebuke his people, like get these things straight. Start building, start laboring. We're not really interested in doing that today, huh? And so they they ended up beginning to rebuild. And that wasn't all. In in Nehemiah chapter 4 verses 1 through 2, they actually began to receive opposition. A guy named Sanballat and some other uh, no good ends up coming against Nehemiah and coming against the people of God and trying to oppose or slandering him. They're they're trying to, uh, you know, send report. They're scoffing him, saying, you know, this this wall that they're building, you know, even if a fox comes down, it'll knock it down. You know, watch when you begin to do things for the Lord. People closest to you are going to start slandering you, speaking about you, and acting like what you're doing for God isn't worthwhile. Amen. They begin scoffing you and saying everything under the sun just to undercut you. And so Nehemiah had to begin to build along with the people of the Lord, with a sword in one hand and a tool in the other. See, sometimes when you're building the house of God and you're building yourself up and you're, you're, the Lord's favor is returning to your life to enable you, to help you to repair all the ruins, sometimes you're going to have to have a tool in a hand and a weapon the other hand. You don't have the luxury to just keep building and keep building. You have to fight off devils. You have to fight off temptations. You have to fight off all that the past that you try to bury is going to come running after you again. So you are doubly tasked. You're tasked with building and you're tasked with fighting. 
But here I want us to come to some encouraging passages. Haggai chapter 2. I told you we'd be doing quite a bit of reading today. Um, <clears throat> chapter 2 verses 1 through 9. <clears throat> on, uh, in the second year of King Darius, on the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. <clears throat> Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, Who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord, be strong. Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest, be strong, all of you. Of the land <clears throat> declares the Lord and work for I am with you declares the Lord Almighty this is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt and my spirit remains on you do not fear this is what the Lord Almighty says in a little while I will once more shake the heavens and the earth the sea and the dry land I will shake all the nations and what is desired by all nations will come and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. <clears throat> so he's saying the glory of the former house that was built in the days of Solomon. And remember... Solomon was the richest uh, a king to have ever lived in uh, God's land. And the temple was glorious. But the Lord began to say through the prophet Haggai, Look, I'm going to do a new thing. And the glory that shall abide on this house shall be greater than the glory that was on it before. And if you thought that what was before was great, you haven't seen anything yet. The glory shall reappear to this temple and shall build it up. And you will begin to see silver and gold appear here. In other words, the wealth and worth, the, the, the house that you guys will construct will be wealthy and it will have worth and it will have investment. It will no longer be worthless. It will no longer be just a piece of rubble. Your life and the temple, your body, your temple, the household of God shall have the glory that it had before, before you were taken into captivity. And it shall be greater and it shall increase. It will be an eternal weight of glory. <clears throat> but it requires work. It requires work and it requires believing the direction of God, believing um, His counsels. Right? That means that you have to let go of what the, the, the construct that you had for your life. Amen. <clears throat> now I, I I wanted to 
I wanted to add as a side note, this is actually a dual prophecy. Because though the Lord through the prophet Haggai was prophesying to these people that a glory great uh, in that house shall be greater than the former, <coughs> this was also speaking with regards to the new temple. Because that temple that they were building actually was destroyed hundreds of years later in 70 AD at the at the uh, uh, the siege of Jerusalem when the Romans came against the people of God that temple was destroyed in 70 AD and he the Lord begins to say he will shake not only the earth but he will shake the heavens and it talks about that in Hebrews chapter 12 that the Lord will once again shake the heavens and the earth so that which cannot be shaken shall remain and he says therefore having received an unshakable kingdom let us serve the Lord with awe and fear what is that unshakable kingdom it is that selfsame unshakable kingdom that was prophesied by Daniel in the second chapter where he's or I believe the ninth chapter I, I, I forget but he talks about an unshakable kingdom that shall be given to the people of God that no king, no tyrant shall overthrow. <clears throat> but this is, I didn't want to focus on the dual prophecy aspect. My focus here is this, nevertheless, that the there is a greater glory that was to dwell on this temple. And so in other words, the people of God have hope. The people of God have hope. Remember of all their history and all that they have done, all the sins they have committed. And the Lord is saying, I'm not hiding my face any longer. I've hidden myself for a little while is what he says in Isaiah chapter 45. But he says that he will raise up a, um, a king to, to restore, to help, to repair that temple. And we see that fulfilled in the book of Nehemiah. Ezra chapter 6 verse 14 says this, And the elders of the Jews built and prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Idu. They finished their building by decree of the God of Israel and by decree of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. Does this ring a bell to anybody? The Bible says that the foundation of the Lord is built upon the, uh, the, the temple of the Lord is built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. With Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone. So guess what? You need the prophetic ministry. You need uh, the ministry, the fivefold ministry to begin to help support the prospering of the temple of the Lord. <clears throat> it says that in Ephesians chapter 4. I want us to turn real quickly, in fact, to just support that in um, Ephesians chapter 2 real quick. Verses uh, 19 through 22. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, 
but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord, and in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. You know, a quick way for the Lord's glory to depart is as we assemble together, you have a nonchalant attitude just like they did in the days of uh, the prophet of Haggai where they begin to neglect the house of God, the assembly of the saints and said, you know, I'd just rather attend to my own things. You know, it's not really that important. You know, because after all, it's just the Lord's people. We are a temple. We are the temple of the Lord. And so, what can we learn from Nehemiah? What can we learn from Haggai? What can we learn from these people? It sorrowed Nehemiah's heart that the temple was not built. It sorrowed Daniel's heart that the people of God were in captivity and the walls were broken down. It brought sorrow to their heart. And they fasted and they prayed. They sought for the favor of God's people. They sought first the kingdom of God. They didn't neglect God's things for their own. You know, I I can't tell you how many people end up getting married and they end up forgetting the people that helped to serve them. And they're, they're, they get ghosts on everybody. And, they, and they, Yeah, I can't tell you how many people end up getting a job and they forget meeting with God's people. I can't tell you how many people would get a little bit of success and then they all of a sudden forget the Lord brought them from the land of Babylon, brought them back to uh, their own homeland, built up their lives, built up the temple, and now they just forsake everything. Amen. But here, here's the thing. If there's anything that we learn from history is that we don't learn from history. And what does history tell us? The people of God are obedient. Then they disobeyed. They went into captivity. And then the, the pagans overruled them. The Gentiles overruled them. They cried out to the Lord. The Lord had pity, had mercy on them. Then he raised up judges. He raised up prophets. He raised up kings to fight for them. They were delivered and they were good for a little while and they relapsed back into their old ways. And then they cried out again, Lord, have mercy on us, have pity on us. The Lord had mercy. And then they did it again. At what point do we stop hitting our head on the wall and say, you know what, I'm kind of tired of doing this. I'm not going back to my vomit any longer. I don't want to go to the trap house anymore. I don't want to go to the bars anymore. 
the drunken house. I don't want to go to the strip house. I don't want to go to those houses. I want to go to God's house. I want to be among God's people. I can't tell you how many people actually love fellowshipping with the world more than they love fellowshipping with the saints. What common does uh, what in common does light have with darkness? I, I get that Jesus was a friend of tax collectors and sinners, and at some point we should cross roads with people and be merciful to them, love them, have compassion on them, be the light to their lives. But there is something terribly wrong when we love that more. We love fellowshipping with darkness more than we do light. No matter how much we try to justify it and say, "Well, I'm just being the light." Well, yeah. Well. The, the the thing is, the Bible says in First John that if the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin, we have fellowship with one another. You can't have fellowship with darkness. You know what the word fellowship means in the Greek? Koinonia. It means things in common. What do we have in common with darkness? Nothing. At all. So that even at family outings, there's still a limited uh, participation that you have with them, even if they try to keep things clean. Amen. And I respect that sometimes family members try to keep things clean for you because they respect your faith and stuff like that. But even then, there is no joy that you can have with them to begin to speak about God and the Lord whom you love and cherish. The Bible says, let us do good unto all men, especially the household of faith. Especially the household of faith. You know, let, let me let me educate you a little bit on how much God actually prizes his people. You know if you know if I punch someone, let, you know, let me move me out of the equation. Let's say if a lost person punched a stranger, the Lord will hold him accountable. But you know if he punches you, that man's judgment would be more severe. Do you understand that? For the same reason he, I, I, for the same reason, if I damage a house that belonged to an average old folk versus destroying God's temple, what what crime is more severe? You are the temple of the Lord. So if someone punches you or messes with you, they're messing with that, that which is sacred. And so how much more? This is why in, in, in 1 Corinthians, when they were handling communion in an unworthy manner, it says, because of this, some of you are weak or ill or have fallen asleep. In other words, they died because they did not discern the body. What does it mean that they didn't discern the body? They did not perceive what they were experiencing as a holy thing, so they treated it as if it was common. This is how people act in the house of God too. They just pop up with a monster, open up a big old can of soda and start sipping and start belching and just like acting like nothing's going on. They joke in the house of God. That's why, and I'm trying not to be heavy handed here, but I want us to understand God's house 
isn't a circus. Do we see right here in Ephesians chapter 2, it's a holy temple of the Lord. And God has mercy so much because the church today is utterly ignorant. Utterly. But you are that temple. And what happened when, when you know a man innocently tried to spare the ark from falling and he was struck down dead. If you weren't the high priest and you entered into the Holy of Holies, you would drop down dead. Look at what happens when you mess with the order of God's rank and God's house. Look at what happened when they defied Moses. They were struck with leprosy. Do you see? Laughing and giggling and joking and making jest in God's house. Treating as if it's some hangout club. It's not a hangout club. How, that's how we're viewing marriage today. We're not, we're not viewing it as sacred. And two little cute, you know, teenage people want to get together and shack up and they think they're married. Or playing games with that which is sacred. Playing games with life and murdering them in the womb. Treating these things as if there was no weight or... Amen? Are, are we following? Amen. <clears throat> but it says this. It says, In Him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in Him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. But here's the thing, you're a temple, but you need to be built up. Um, look, let, let me explain why some people, even though they come to Bible studies and stuff like this, they never grow. It's for the same reason that they got a gym membership, walk up in the gym, and then nonchalantly just walk on a treadmill going like this. And they think they're going to see results. You just can't walk in a gym and feel like a a bodybuilder and necessarily get results for your body to be built up. You actually have to put in difficult work. Amen. God has graced you. God has given you strength in order to do the building. But are you building? Are you doing it? Are you doing what you're supposed to be doing? Or are you giving excuses for why you can't pray? Because the Bible says in Jude chapter 1 verse 20, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. The Bible says in Acts chapter 20 verse 23, that it says, I commend you now to, the, uh, uh, to God and the word of His grace, which is able to build you up. 
and giving you inheritance among them that are sanctified. So you are not going to be built up if you aren't praying in the Holy Ghost, if you aren't praying, seeking the face of God, delving into the scriptures, applying what has been taught. You're going to remain in ruins. You're going to remain in shambles. You're going to remain desolate. At best, you're going to be that house where the big bad wolf comes and huffs and puffs and blows your house down. Amen. That big bad wolf is the devil. He comes around and is like, oh, this is made of straw. (sighs) That was easy. Isn't Isn't that the ministry of many of our latte pastors and skinny jean pastors today? They just, they erect, you know, something made of straw. Built not on the foundation of prayer. Built just on statistics and whatever their natural mind concoct. And the devil comes and just blows it down. Are you, are you fortified in God? Are you fortified? Are you built up? Are you putting fortresses around your holy temple? Let, let me turn to one other... Uh, passage Um, it's in Isaiah chapter 6 Isaiah chapter uh, Isaiah chapter 62 I'm sorry but as you're turning there I wanted to read 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. The word of the Lord says this. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. And the the word of the Lord says this, Whosoever destroys the temple of the Lord, God shall destroy him. That's, That's a hard word. A lot of people have used that verse to support smoking cigarettes. That's not what it's talking about. You know what it's talking about? It's infecting the church of God with ideas and practices. Amen. That's a severe thing. And so he... The reason why sexual immorality is sinning against the own body, a lot of people have misunderstood that. You know why? Because they were committing incestuous relationships in the household of God. They were having sex with one another. So guess what? You're not sinning against a harlot. Because if you're sinning, if you're fornicating with the stranger, that's not the body of the Lord. When you're sinning in-house and having sex with one another, you're desecrating the holy temple of the Lord. That's why it's actually a worse thing that you would fornicate with a child of God than someone in the world. I know that this this doesn't like register with you because whether you like it or not, sin is not just sin. People say sin is sin. No, it's not. There's an unforgivable sin. 
There's sins that lead to death. There's sins that don't lead to death. There's sins of omission, sins of commission. Jesus says, He that has committed me to your hands has the greater sin. There are lesser sins and greater sins. And so one of the greatest sins is to sin against that which is holy. So that's why when it comes to the holy things of the Lord, do not mess with them. Amen, somebody? This is why many, many, I'm I'm saying this very soberly, there's many pastors, so-called pastors, that are just playing games, they're skinny jean latte pastors that think that God's house is a joke and they can just say whatever they want behind the pulpit, teach whatever they want behind the pulpit, do whatever they want. The Bible says that they will undergo a stricter judgment. Okay? And so, but... So there's grace. If you, if you have sinned, come unto the Lord and entreat Him for His mercy and His kindness and the Lord will pardon and He will blot out your transgressions. And He will abundantly pardon. It says in Micah 7.19, He delights to show mercy. But like it says in the Psalms, I believe in the 85th chapter, somewhere in the 80s, he says, but let not my people return back to folly. So the Lord has mercy, but let us not return back to our foolishness. Let us be advised. And and so I, I, I want to say last thing. <clears throat> this is why, you know, when we even, I understand that this doesn't look, you know, like, we're, you know, obviously we're not in person. You know what makes the household of God is when the people of God assemble and there are legal representatives of Christ that bring the kingdom. That's what makes a household of God. That's why it says if there's two or three in the midst, there, if two or three are gathered, there I am in the midst. Where was the Lord in the midst of? In the temple. So even though we are gathered here, if the Lord is in our midst, God forbid that you should have an apathetic attitude because that is reflective of how much you do not honor the Lord. I remember some time back there was a brother who had come on here and he said, because um, I... I it, Anyways, there there's a discussion that we had, and he, he ended up messaging me afterward um, because he liked to hear himself talk a lot. And so um, I had to correct that because I anything that's not cohesive to the theme of what we're talking about shows a um, a disjointed individual. And we can't be disjointed. We have to be conjoined. Because the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2... As it's joined together, it grows up as a holy temple. Right? That's why we have to be in one mind, one body, one accord. Right? Amen. That's the importance of unity. And if you're if you're disjointed, guess what that's reflective of? You're not walking in the spirit. You're walking in the imaginations of your mind. Because if the whole body is doing something, you're doing something else. Guess who's not guess who's leading you? Not God. 
But we don't we don't like to hear that today, right? Because but anyways, I had to correct him. He says, I'm not gonna sit an hour and a half listening to a man and then and he said something along those lines. I said, excuse me. I said, did you not discern the presence of the Lord? Did you not discern his body? Did not Paul say in 1 Thessalonians, we thank God continually for when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God that is at work in you who believe. What that is demonstrating to me is that there can be such persons who have a heart of unbelief who just reckon it, oh, well, it's just this person giving a lecture. No, Paul didn't consider it that. He says, we are the very oracles of God, it says in 1 Peter chapter 5. If any man speaks, let him speak as the very oracles of God. And so what I'm helping to educate you on is the proper nature of the temple of the Lord. And and so I don't want you guys to labor and eat a lot and not be well fed like it says in Haggai you labor a lot you eat but it's never enough you gather but it's never enough and so this will be the last uh, verse Isaiah chapter 62 this is how much God prizes his 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 land his um his people his temple Isaiah chapter sixty two verse uh, beginning at verse one for Zion's sake I will not keep silent for Jerusalem's sake I will not remain silent till her vindication shines forth like the dawn, shines out like the dawn her salvation like a blazing torch the nations will see your vindication all kings your glory you will be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. You will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. No longer will they call you deserted or name your land desolate, but you will be called uh, Hezbah. I believe that says, my delight is in her. That's what it means in Hebrew. Uh, And your land, Beulah. For the Lord will take delight in you and your land will be married as a young man marries a young woman, so will your builder marry you. So who does the building? The Lord does. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. I have posted watchmen on your walls, Jerusalem. They will never be silent day or night. You who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest, and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes her praise of the earth. The Lord has sworn by his right hand and by his mighty arm, never again will I give your grain as food for your enemies, and never again will foreigners drink the new wine for which you have toiled. But those who harvest it will eat it and praise the Lord, and those who gather the grapes will drink it in the courts of my sanctuary. (coughs) So these are precious promises. But you know how it comes about? He says, I've set watchmen over your house, or over your gates. And he says, give me rest neither day or night. And until what? Until he establishes, give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes her a praise of the earth. The Lord wants the church to be a praise in the earth. 
He wants His temple to be a praise in the earth. He wants His glory to rest on your life so that you will not be approach of many people. You will not be a byword among many nations, but that you will be a praise in the earth. And so, as we come to a close, my question to us is this. <clears throat> Have we hearkened unto the prophetic counsels of the Lord? Through the prophets and the scriptures and and, and what they have declared to be or, or the, the teachings of Jesus, you know, the whole counsel of God, have we implemented those words? And have we have we um, been instructed properly from uh, personal wise counsel in your life in order to help prod you forward? To prosper you in the building up of your lives. And have you committed yourself to entreating the favor of the Lord and saying, God, I have sinned. My life is in ruins or there are certain areas in my life that's still in rubble. And I need it built up. I need this changed. And God promises to prosper it as we commit to Him, as we commit to His ways. And not our own. And so th- there's labor to do. It's not going to come with us being passive. Amen. We have to toil. What does Paul say? I toil with his great might that works in me mightily. You know, there's a teaching out there that says grace is just... Um, when you have grace on your life, all it is is basically rest. You know, Paul says, I labored more than them all. Nevertheless, not I, but the grace of God. So an indication that grace is on your life is that you labor in the things of God. Amen. That's an indication of grace. And so, is your temple in ruins? Or is it built up? Are you committing to the ways of God? Or are you committing to your ways? Are you concerned about the state of the church, the state of God's people? Or are you only caring about the state of your life. And and now, to be fair, it begins with us. We have to be built up. But it has to be built up after God's design, not ours. It has to be built up with God's tools, not ours. And so easy believism, positive confessions, that stuff don't work. It's nonsense. We're built up by the word. Are we building ourselves up by the word? And then once we are being built up, then do we build others up? Do we build up the people of God? Do we build up uh, the ruins of, of the land of our nation by prayer and intercession? Because if not, you will gather much but have little. Just like it says in Haggai. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything will be added unto you. 
Now, <clears throat> there's something that, um, are, are we okay? Hope that we're not dejected. Are you all with me? Um, I, I noticed some of you aren't replying. I hope that you're not distracted. I, I want to see some replies. Um, <clears throat> okay. <clears throat> um, now, Brother Daniel had brought something to my attention, and I'm not, I, I don't believe that this message entirely correlated with what he had brought to my attention yesterday, but I think in some ways it kind of does. And, um, <clears throat> It was regarding, um, I will stop this at this point. Recording stopped.